so welcome everyone to what's going to be our final look back at uh, Irish international football during the uh, the last 10 years. I'm joined once again by Mark from Hawkeye Psychic and by Phil from the Bottomless Pit of Football. Uh, good evening guys. Um, so tonight we're going to be looking at the last 12 months, uh, which encompasses all of um, Mick McCarthy's second uh, second reign as Ireland manager. Um, began back in March with a you know, a double header, uh, home and away to, uh, Gibraltar and Georgia. You know, both 1-0 wins, not really anything remarkable about either of them. I'd say between the two games, what most people would remember more than anything is the tennis ball protest against Georgia that came right before Conor Warren's, uh, free kick goal, uh, in the first half. And, uh, the, as for the Gibraltar game, I remember winning 1-0. I remember it was played in horrendous conditions. Uh, I've been told by people who were there that the the wind was absolutely horrific, that there was no way of playing anything approaching football in in, in that stadium in, in those conditions. And we got out of there with a win, and there was nothing else to talk about it. Um, so, Mark, how did you feel about you know when Mick McCarthy was first appointed? And do you think that... Do you think he's made any difference, or what difference do you think he made to the side that had finished Sunder O'Neill only a, a few months earlier? I suppose you can consider the Mick McCarthy appointment a safe pair of hands. I mean, some of the other, I suppose, managerial, and Philip, you can join in here as well. Just uh, Adam Pardew again, wasn't he mentioned again for the role? There was a few kind of Sky pundits looking for the role as well. So in the context of the managerial candidates that were out there, I suppose Mick, after his kind of um, spell with Ipswich Town, came to kind of a an unflattering end. Um, you know himself and Terry Connor. I suppose seen as the safe pair of hands, but conceivably the whole kind of future end state with Stephen Kenny there, literally also being a bit of an Irish media kind of um, appointment kind of favourite as well, leading up to this. But we kind of knew that Stephen Kenny would need the experience internationally, and he's certainly getting that with the the underage sides. But a safe pair of hands. I mean, we know what to expect from Mick, really, don't we? You know, very defensively solid, well organised, hard to beat. I mean, a few characteristics to the Martin O'Neill era, really. Uh, but again, the one thing you would think about Mick McCarthy is, you know, team spirit wise, has always been pretty much there thereabouts anyway. So again, safe pair of hands from my perspective. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of similarities to when Martin O'Neill was appointed in that, um, both managers were available, so there was no compensation to be paid to, to any club. Um, you know, if we look at the, the, the last few results under O'Neill, there's a lot of comparisons there with the end of Trapatoni's reign. And, yeah, just, there was a lot, seemed to be a lot of confusion around the actual appointment, you know, there was talk very late in the day that it was actually going to be Stephen Kenny, and then it was changed that, no, Stephen Kenny is going to be taking over the under-21s, and then it was like, oh, Stephen Kenny will be taking the the reins of the, the international side uh, in 2020. Um, so, Phil, do you think that, it, how do you think it was handled? Um, yeah, at, so I, I think at the end of O'Neill's reign, the 
I think it, it got to the stage where everybody had wanted change the way we approached qualifying and the way we just approach football in general. And I think everybody wanted someone like Kenny to be brought in because we had seen we hadn't seen enough young players coming through, and it was just time to try and get someone who knew knew the Irish game and to get them to start playing football. But I think what Delaney tried to do is he tried to kind of appease everyone. Delaney's thing was always, and it's kind of been a problem with Ireland for the last 20 years, we were always only looking forward to the next tournament. That was it. And it was always try and qualify for the next tournament. So I think he kind of had to balance the two of, of trying to bring in this new era of actually like blood and players through from the under-17s, 21s and up. But still, he needed us to qualify for the next tournament. And I think that really has come to the fore now with the fact that you've seen how badly they are in debt and with all the fiasco with the money. I think they really needed to qualify for this tournament to kind of just get some money into the coffers. So I kind of see that's why they brought McCarthy in. And then that's why they announced Kenny after him. Let's just get this tournament. Let's try and give ourselves a chance of qualifying for this tournament. Forget about bringing in new players, playing good football. Let's just get Mick in. He can do a job. He might, he could qualify us. And then after that, we'll go with Kenny. So um, I still think it was a decent appointment to bring him in because he, he probably was our best shot at qualifying for the tournament from who was available. But I think um, they should have went with Kenny. You know, if, if the money situation wasn't what it was, they could have gone with Kenny. But I think it was circumstances that around the financial situation now, when you look back on it, that's why Mick was brought in because we really needed to qualify for this tournament. Yeah, I I would agree with you there, and I think that the point was made after the qualifiers ended that you know Kenny probably wouldn't have done any worse than than McCarthy's record in qualifying. I mean, we didn't lose to anyone ranked below us, we didn't beat anyone ranked ahead of us, um, and you know our our best result was beating Georgia one nil, and probably our worst result was the two 0 loss to Switzerland in in October. Um, so we, yeah, we we finished more or less where we should have finished. We were third seed in the group. We finished third, and now we go on to the playoffs in the new year in March, where we're going to be away to Slovakia uh, before another away game uh, to either Bosnia or Northern Ireland. Um, I think you know if we just talk a little bit about the the players that were introduced. You know the feeling was under O'Neill that. The squads had become a bit stale. It was too predictable. You know, there was hope that the, some of the promising players, some of the, the underage sides could be brought through, but it, it hadn't really happened. But what we've seen in the last 12 months is, uh, you know, senior, senior debuts for players like Aaron Connolly, like Troy Paris, uh, and Leo Connor, uh, as well as, you know, kind of fringe players like James Collins and Jack Byrne being given a chance to show what they can do. So, you know, given given that that has happened in the last twelve months, do you how do you see what players do you see uh, maybe Mick bringing through for the playoffs, and then Kenny uh, when he takes over in the summer? That's to me, is it? Sorry. Yeah, sorry, Phil. Sorry, yeah. So he he brought through a few players, but I still think it was he was basically forced into a corner to do it. And if, if he had the option not to bring in anyone, I know he brought in Connolly, Connolly for the last couple of games, but if he could get away with it, he probably wouldn't have brought many in. Like at the end of the day, he was given a leaving date. So his his job was simply just to qualify. So he could kind of just park blood and players, 
to one side and go what he knows. So I think that's kind of been a bit disappointing. Um, Connolly and Parrott definitely. I'd love to see Ronan Curtis in there, take over from Whelan possibly. Yeah. Um, he's been really impressive with Charlton, so he'd be one of them. You've Adam Ida, you've you've a few players there. Definitely Connolly and Parrot. Anyway, um, we need to try and sort out our, our our situation on the flanks. Possibly Parrot can play left. I'm not sure, but um, they'd be the main ones. Uh, I've been very impressed with uh, Jason Malumbi uh, when I have seen him play for the under 21s, um, and. You know, he's dropped down uh league this season and he's on loan with Millwall. Um but I think it was actually the right decision. Uh he's been spent a lot of the last two years out with a succession of knee injuries and he had fought his way back into the uh the Brighton first team. He was actually on the bench for their last game of the season last season, the twenty eighteen, nineteen season against Man City. Um so I think the loan move has actually worked out really well for him. He's getting regular football. Um in what's been a pretty good season by for for Millwall. You know they're on the the fringes of the playoffs, and you know late surge could see them challenge uh, for for promotion. Uh, Mark, like again, you know facing into the playoffs in the new year. Do what do we have to to worry about facing Slovakia and either Bosnia or Northern Ireland? Well, I suppose let's uh, let's kind of focus quite quickly on Slovakia because I think that'll be a difficult game um, for us, particularly away from home. I mean, um, our, our stand-up here really would be to Martin Dubravka, playing goalkeeper at Newcastle. The campaign for Slovakia, I don't know if you've uh, seen their form, guys, but it's very much like the Republic of Ireland. Very hit and miss. Um, the game particularly against Croatia at home for Slovakia they absolutely disintegrated without trace after conceding just before half time that game could have been a 6-7-0 hammering really only for Dubravka Dubravka really kind of keeps that back four in check and then you have Marek uh, Marek Samic as well he's playing his club football with China now you know he had his stints in Italy with Napoli I mean 120 capped international he's the creative force uh, for uh, Slovakia as well Um, and again Robert Mack as well um a, a guy Republic of Ireland fans wouldn't know of, but came in with an awful lot of prominent performances, particularly in the qualification campaign for Slovakia when they were kind of tittering on the brink. He plays right flank and very tricky, very elusive, has plenty of pace on that right flank. Um, and again, they're really looking at Robert Bozenic as well. He's a guy that's come through the under-20s in the last season and he's made a superb career, starts the international career. He's scored four goals in eight appearances, so... And last two group games he scored against Croatia and Azerbaijan. So they have a few threats. Again, they're going to be big physical right down the middle, a bit like ourselves. So it's going to be, um, it's going to be a tough match for either side. I'd say Slovakia won't fancy playing Republic of Ireland as well because the record between us in recent history hasn't, there hasn't been much between the sides. So again, I think from a Croat perspective or Slovakian perspective, they have threats, but it's a 50-50 game for us really on that fixture. Yeah, like you said, their, their qualifying record is quite similar to ourselves. They beat the two sides ranked below them in the group, Hungary and Azerbaijan, home and away. Uh, they drew with Wales at home, but lost both games to Croatia and, uh, and, uh, lost to, uh, lost away to Wales as well. Um, so they finished on the same number of points as ourselves, 13. Uh, they scored, 
you know, nearly twice as many as we did, scored 13. But they conceded quite a few, just conceded 11. And, you know, we both finished with the same goal difference, plus two. So I think we didn't expect to see goals in uh, in this game uh, in Slovakia. But yeah. at, at what end is uh, is the, the, real, the real question there? Um, so, uh, Phil, uh, what are your thoughts on the, the game in March? But the big worry is is goals from our point of view. We only scored two in qualifying away from home. One against Georgia or one against Gibraltar and the, the goal against Denmark. Um, I don't know how we had in us to to get a goal if we need it unless we go one 0 down. That's the worry. I don't know yeah. if there's something in the psyche, but especially the fact that we're so evenly matched with them, they've kind of it'll become a war of attrition and they have home advantage. So it's very hard to see us taking the lead out there, regardless of how even how, how poor they could be playing on the on the night. That's the worrying thing for me. Yeah, I think that's that's something that's uh stuck out actually. We never led against either Switzerland or Denmark. Uh we know we did come from behind to draw with, with both sides, but we never led or we never led against someone obviously, you know, once uh, you know, Switzerland uh, beat us 2-0 away from home, which, like, Slovakia aren't as good as, as Switzerland, but, you know, we are facing an, an away game, you know, where we, 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 we've struggled traditionally to, to get results. Um, I don't really want to look, uh, beyond that game, but, uh, what are your thoughts on the other, uh, semi-final between, uh, Bosnia and Northern Ireland? You'd expect Bosnia to have enough of them away from or at home, technically, but with the North, the North seem to be able to pull out big results when they need to. No, they've had a, a poor end to their qualifying campaign, the, the group stage, but they've, they've played Germany and, and the Dutch, so it, that's nearly another 50-50. Bar the fact that Bosnia have a couple of quality players in Pjanic being one of them, if he can get, get in the ball that, that night, he could take them apart, but if it's the two games are very tough to call. I wouldn't be, be back in any team, really, to be honest with you. And if, if both games ended up in a draw, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I, I felt that Bosnia have kind of regressed a little bit since we played them in the playoffs for Euro 2016. I think the, the team, much like ourselves, has, has been uh, a little static. I don't know if they have many players coming through. I think Dzeko up front is a, is a massive threat. Uh, and as you say, uh, Pjanic in midfield can, can create something out of nothing. The home advantage might, I think, be their, their biggest advantage, uh, against Northern Ireland. So, with the, if we leave the playoffs behind and we look ahead to the, the Nations League in, uh, that's starting in the second half of the year, um, what I think Stephen Kenny is going to bring to the side, I think the, the biggest change, whatever about personnel, it might actually be the approach to games. You know, I've watched a lot of the under 21s and, you know, I think the, 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 the coverage of the, the coverage of uh, the team under Kenny has, uh, has, has really improved. I think there's, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of interest in seeing how they play, a lot of, in seeing their, seeing their games. Um, you know, playing it, uh, they're playing their home games in, in Tala, um, and they're, they've all been televised. Um, you know, some of their, their results have been good, but I think what's really impressive has been the football that they've played. You know, they, they've played a really good 
uh, passing possession based style. You know, a lot of it is built around uh, Connor Owen, who I think is you know possibly another player who's ready for for senior international football. Uh, I think he, his his growth there, his development as a player has gone uh, a little under the radar. Um, he's uh, He's actually on loan at the moment from Wolves um, in Slovakia, I think, or Slovenia. Uh, so, you know, he's a little out of sight, out, out of mind. Um, but he, uh, he's looked absolutely phenomenal when I have seen him play for the 121s. He's, um, he's another one of these players that we don't really tend to produce in that he's a creative central midfielder. Um, that's good on the ball, that's good at possession. Uh, I think he tends, he looks re- best when he's played through the middle. So, you know, I think if, if when he is brought into the, the senior side, he'll probably play behind a striker in front of a midfield too. Um, but just looking across the rest of the under 21s, um, there's not a lot of first team experience there at the moment. Uh, so I'm not really sure. How many of them are ready for uh, senior international football? Uh, but like I said, I think the big difference could be in the the actual style of play. So, Mark, are you looking forward to the to the new manager in, in as I said, the second half of the year? No, certainly, Joe. Um, again, very exciting times. Yeah, I would say like Stephen Stephen Kenny, this qualification campaign with the under twenty ones, it has been a breath of fresh air just in terms of the approach. Um, I have liked uh, likes of Leo Connor uh, and Connor Masterson's particularly. Uh, their performances at the back, you know, the, the ability of our kind of defensive players to play from the back and, you know, particularly midfield, the, the pace and movement as well, the options for people on the ball. It's just been very refreshing to see, but it's going to be pretty exciting because knowing Stephen Kenny, he'll look to adopt that same football philosophy with the senior team and he will bring a, a fair few, I would say, under 21s into this side as well. No doubt after this qualification campaign, there may be one or two uh, senior players may be calling it quits. Um, but again, like said Jason Malumpy, if he progresses the way he's progressing at the moment with Millwall this season, there's no reason why he couldn't include, you know, be included in a, a first-team squad in the second half of next year. Um, again, Adam Nadai as well has been very impressive when I've seen him on the under-21s. Troy Part as well, obviously. You know, provided that he gets first-team games in Tottenham or gets loaned out in January. You know, it, it it's not as if we don't have the underage players coming through. They're showing the talent. They're showing their ambition here uh, in the under-21 uh, jersey here. So, again, with Stephen Kenny in charge, hopefully we'll see more kind of ability on the ball, really. It should be exciting. Yeah, Phil, just on, Mark mentioned Leo Connor there. And, you know, he made his, his international debut uh, in the second last game of the year, the uh, the game against New Zealand. So he was the first player in a very, very long time to make his senior international debut before making his club debut. He he did play for the Manchester United under twenty threes in the um the Football League trophy, but he never played for the the, the full senior skies at Old Trafford and he's yet to make his debut for Celtic. Now traditionally Ireland managers have uh held back on picking players until they've made their their international uh, sorry, until they've made their, their club debut. But do you think that uh, Kenny, especially with the, his experience with the under twenty ones, will will overlook that kind of unwritten rule and you know pick the players, pick the players that he wants to see play international football for Ireland? 
Absolutely. I think it's it'll be strange at the start because his outlook will be totally different from any manager that's come before him where the main focus has been on the next tournament. He's coming in with with a totally different perspective. His his outlook for the last couple of years has been to put a team together, get them playing a certain way and bringing them through. And it'll be his job to actually incorporate them with some of the players that are already there. So I think you won't see the likes of James McLean and, and other players picked on merit. He's he's going in with with the kind of totally a blank page when it comes to the the current senior team at the moment. So anybody is is liable to be dropped, and anyone from the under twenty ones is is liable to be included. And I think that's exciting, um, especially the fact that the two of them will be merged. So we see Jeff Hendrick in the Premier League. We see. Um, Egan, Doherty, Stevens in the Premier League, we see what they can do and it doesn't normally translate to the green jersey but I think when the style of football changes when Kenny comes in and we have that young energy about the team I think that will improve some of the players that are already there so that's kind of an exciting aspect of it because we have a decent base of a goalkeeper and a defence and to add someone like O'Connor to it maybe start Doherty a bit more, it's exciting. I think Matt Adarty has probably come into the international side at, at a, a, a bad time for right-sided players. I mean, he's been one of the uh, standout performers in the Premier League in that uh, wing-back position for the last few seasons. But it's just we've had Seamus Coleman as captain, and now it looks like Leo Connor is going to be the future. So, you know, he could be caught in this sort of you know, limbo where he's he's really really good, but just not what we need at this time, which is which is unfortunate. Um, so, uh, just uh, both of you have mentioned the defense a few times, and you know, I think the the starting center halves for Kenny have been you know Masterson and Darrell Shea at West Brom. Now, Masterson's been talked about for a long time. You know, he came through the academy at Liverpool. Um, but he still hasn't made his senior club debut. Um, so I'm, I'm a little worried that he could get left behind. You know, if you yeah. compare him with Darrell O'Shea, you know, he spent last season out on loan in League Two. Um, you know, getting a lot of experience, getting a lot of like real football experience, which, you know, if anyone will tell you, it's a, it's a world apart from, from academy games. Um, you know, and when you think as well that you know the Shane Duffy isn't going to be retiring anytime soon, uh, I I do feel that he, you know he might. There's there's a chance that this uh, this really talented player could get left behind, which maybe says more about the 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 game itself than than you know on a on a wider uh, at a wider view than than his actual ability. So you know. As we come to the you know to the end of the decade, um, what are uh, what are your feelings over overall across the the three manager across the ten years and across the three management reigns? I mean, my own opinion is, is that it was an improvement on the previous ten years. I mean, I think if you think what between two thousand and two and two thousand and ten, um, or sorry, between two thousand and two thousand and ten, you know we qualified for the World Cup in 2002 and we got to the playoffs you know in 2009 and those are really the highlights of Irish international football you know since then we've gone to 
two European Championships and appeared in a, another playoff. Do you think that this upward trend is going to continue for the next... Well, I'm not going to ask you to look 10 years ahead, but you know, maybe for the next three or four years. Uh, Mark, we start with you. Yeah, I suppose big question is regarding the the organisation that's dry, well fronting up these teams, the FAI. I mean, you know, we talked about Stephen Kenny and all the the young promising underage players so far, but that'll only kind of keep going uh, to increase competition in the senior squad if we have the adequate funding, grassroots level, and I'm a little bit concerned in terms of what I'm hearing from Minister of Sport at the moment uh, regarding the FAI. So, with that aside, um, with Stephen Kenny in charge. My hope and expectation is he gets a solid start. Um, hopefully, you know, the guys like Master. We, we forgot to mention Nathan Collins as well, guys, in yeah. terms of the centre-half positions. I mean, what a kind of debut season for him in Stoke City. Um, you know, but again, another guy that come into the directing here. Um, I'm, as you've probably been hearing in podcasts, I'm pretty optimistic most of the time. And hopefully, you know, this at home support, the fan base will be well behind Stephen Kenny and the management staff and the players here, provided that we see that the, 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 the flow of football, the passing game, the tempo, everything is a work in progress and there is progression here. So I'm optimistic, Joe. Um, again, It'll be very interesting to see in terms of World Cup qualification campaign who we do get paired with. Um, but, you know, uh, relatively optimistic. But, again, the administration of our beautiful game here, that's all. That's casting a big shadow uh, over everything as well. This is true, and I think we should also acknowledge that the, the under-17s have qualified for the, the elite round uh, for the 2020 UEFA Championships. Unfortunately, the, the under-19s went out in the, the, the group stage um, in Austria, but they had a particularly tough group. I think they had Austria, Switzerland, and Gibraltar were the the, the minnows. But there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of talent in that under 19 squad, so I'm I'm hoping to see more of it uh, in the next uh, in the next 12 months. So I suppose Phil, um, how do you think things are going to go um, in the next five years? I mean, are we going to see you know our first World Cup qualification since 2002? Uh, I'd be optimistic, I suppose. We need to stick with Stephen Kenny. We need a lot of patience. You know, things mightn't go right for him straight away. Things mightn't go right for him in the first qualification, the Nations League, the first qualification campaign. But I think we have to have the kind of nerve to stick with them for a couple of campaigns at least because these things take time. And th- the problem, as I said before, was we were always looking one, one tournament ahead. And just to go back to the under 21s, the under 21s and the under 17s marks that they're all doing great. But I think it's, we haven't had this much focus on our youth team in a long, long time. And I think it's worth remembering that for even the best youth teams, under 21 teams coming through like this, there'll always be four or five players to fall through the cracks. And that's just kind of, I know you mentioned uh, Connor Masterson, but that's just, that's just the way it is on average. You're going to lose three or four players, five players. But to get even five or six of these lads to come through to the senior team in the next two years would be brilliant. And I would be optimistic if, if they can sort out the administrative side, which is just beyond a shambles at the moment, and, and, and get a plan in place and, and just focus on the football. Like not worry about where the next paycheck is coming, which was, which Delaney was doing and that was driving his appointments. So just leave Kenny in there for a couple of qualifying campaigns, let him bring players through build a team and, and give it a go. And if anything, if we didn't qualify for the next two tournaments, 
but we actually changed the way football was played by the senior team and the mentality changed to actually trying to play a bit, then I would actually be happy with that because you have to break a few eggs to make an omelette at the end of the day. And just looking at qualifying for the next campaign, you're automatically going to revert to the bare minimum you can do when it comes to football-wise. So I'd be optimistic, yeah. Yeah. Just what you, you mentioned there about about patience, like football fans historically, you know, don't have, you know, a lot of patience. But uh, I always go back to, to Michael O'Neill in charge of Northern Ireland. You know, they didn't win a game for the first, I think, 18 months in charge. They had some pretty horrific results, including draws with Luxembourg and Liechtenstein. And I think it was another maybe year before they won their second game. But they went from strength to strength after that, and you know, culminating in qualifying for, for Euro 2016. So, you know, if Stephen Kenny, if the results aren't going his way, but there's a clear improvement in the actual football being played, I think he will be given that, uh, that patience, you know, that's sometimes in, in short supply for, for football fans. Yeah, it's, it's what we've wanted for so long. We've wanted them, we've wanted our managers to play the likes of Wes Houlihan. But if we say get rid of Stephen Kenny after a poor qualifying campaign, the next Wes Houlihan isn't going to get into the team because we're going to be trying to play the most direct football we can. So that's where you stick with Stephen Kenny and you, you change the way you play football. It's, 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 it's simple. We just change the way we play football to a more passing, attractive attacking game. Actually play a bit. And that means the next Wes Hoolan or the next whoever will have a chance coming in in two or three years time and actually getting a game and making a difference. So that's what, that's, that's the real aim, I think. Yeah. And I think he's the kind of manager who's going to give that kind of player a chance. Whereas, you know, the last few managers, you know, uh, it's, they've been conservative in their outlook. It's rather, I'd rather stick with what I know and, not do badly rather than take a chance and possibly do, you know, make a, a very bad mistake. So I think we've, we've covered the, the three management reigns in the last 10 years of football. So the last thing I, I, we're, we're going to discuss is, you know, the, the Ireland 11 of the, the 2010s. So, uh, we're going to just go through each position. Uh, I think, uh, we'll start Obviously, went at the back with 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 goalkeepers, and I think it has to be Darren Randolph here. Um, Shea Given was you know the number one at the the start of the decade, but you know very much in the the end of his career. And I think it's it's unfortunate that his performance at Euro 2012 would probably always will will blight you know his 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 record a little bit. Um, and when when Randolph was brought into the was was called into the side because of an injury to to give in in that the, the qualifier against Germany. No one's really looked like taking the 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 jersey from him. Um, you know he's currently playing in the championship, but I think he's a better player than uh, than with all due respect to the to the to the league to the competition. He's he's better player than than a, a championship level player. Um, so would you both agree with that, uh, Mark? Yeah, I agree with you there, Joe. You know, he's, since he's 
you know, when he came in against Germany that fateful night when we won 1 0. <laughs> he did actually provide the goal assist to Shane Long as well. He hasn't looked back really. Yeah, and in terms of his club future at Middlesbrough, I mean, Jack Woodgate kind of said it as much there last week. He's expecting uh, Randolph to get an offer and the club to get an offer for him in January. I mean, he'll be back in the Premier League in no time. I mean, he's a quality quality keeper all round game is just superb yeah like Shea Given unbelievable servant to the, uh, to, to the country you know but as you said yourself when we were in Poznan you know unfortunately Shea uh, he was carrying he definitely was carrying an injury you know we didn't see the best of him in that tournament so yeah for me Darren Randolph and uh, <coughs> excuse me and uh, I'd feel you'd agree with that you know you uh, you wouldn't have anyone else uh, in in Nets for Ireland no, absolutely not. He he hasn't he hasn't put a foot wrong. Yeah. He's just been Mr. Dependable. And a calm presence at the back as well when needed. But um he's just he's such a good shot stopper. We just seem to have this thing about goal Irish goalkeepers. Given was another one. He's just so good. You know, it's just a really good part of his game. Um and I can't think of a single thing he's he's done wrong for us in the last few years. So um yeah, definitely. And I saw today, it could just be rumour, but apparently West Ham are looking to sign him back. <laughs> Classic West Ham. Yeah, apparently they're, they're in talks already that, that he's nearly it's nearly 100% done that he's going back to them. In yeah, typical think, West Ham fashion, as he said. <laughs> when you think he was actually 28 uh, for that game against Germany, and he, he only had a handful of caps at that point. You know, what he's done since then has been, you know, has been phenomenal. Um, he's he's 32 at the moment. He'll be 33 in May. Um, so I, I think we can look forward to at least a, another two years of uh, of Randolph and goals before we start. You know, before his successor really uh, makes himself known. Um, so with Randolph and goals, um, who would you have as his two centre halves in front of him? Uh, for uh, me, Don and O'Shea. Okay. Done simply because of Russia. Yeah. Just on that basis alone. And O'Shea, because O'Shea, when, when Dunn did retire, O'Shea was brilliant. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't argue with uh, with either of that. I mean, Richard Dunn's performance against Russia has gone down in the, the, the history of Irish international football as one of those great individual performances like Paul McGrath against Italy or... Roy Keane against uh, the Dutch. Um, I would give Shane Duffy an honourable mention. Uh, I think since he's been brought into the the senior side, you know, again around the same time as as Randolph, you know, uh, except it was at actually at the Euro twenty sixteen and on in the qualifier. Um, he's been he's been dependable at centre half. Um, he's been a goal threat at the other end, obviously from from set plays, and I think he's he's not really going anywhere. Um, in terms of being selected uh, for Ireland, whatever about his 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 club situation, uh, I don't see him not getting picked by uh, the current Irish manager and and possibly the next one as well. So, uh, Mark, um, if we have O'Shea and Dunn at centre half, uh, who have you at fullback? I suppose one of the fullback slots for me probably is Seamus Coleman. Yeah. Um, been the ever-present really uh, down that flank, you know, and you know we can talk all nice regarding Neil Taylor and that terrific broken leg. But prior to that, 
I, he was a class apart in terms of Premier League, you know, best fullback for me anyway, prior to that leg break. Um, again, hasn't put a foot wrong, provided captaincy, provided leadership as well. Amid turbulent times, that's uh, in terms of the Martin O'Neill era and stuff like that, you know, he had to front up to the media when the pressure was put on Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane and, you know, the mark of the man, um, Coleman, didn't look for any excuses, didn't throw management under the bus, you know, just a constable professional, so he's an easy pick for me. On the other flank, um, that's an interesting one for me because, you know, <laughs> if you were going on current form, Matt Doherty, but I would give Stephen Ward um, plenty of accolade here on the other flank purely because you, you look at the, the decade that was, that, that flank was glaring and consistently he was the guy from a Trapatoni era, Martin O'Neill era, that basically filled that other flank. Uh, again, Stephen, we can, you know, critique all we want in terms of some of the, the absolute speedsters of the world game. But in fairness to Stephen Ward, you know, his loyalty, the commitment, everything else. Um, for me, he, he would be on the other uh, full-back slot for me. Yeah, and for me as well, it would be uh, Stephen Ward and, and, and Coleman. Like, again, we haven't really had uh, an outstanding left full-back possibly since since Ian Hart. And there's been a succession of, you know, square pegs in that particular round hole. And even Ward himself started as a striker before being converted to a left winger and eventually a left full. Um, but I think he, he's been probably the most consistent player that we've had in that position for some time. Um, you know, obviously with Andrew Stevens playing Premier League football, um, and not looking out of place with Sheffield United, uh, he'll probably be there for the foreseeable future. But, uh, you know, I think, uh, I, I, I'd like to see Leo Connor, uh, challenge for that role. And again, on the other, the other side, um, there's very little you can say about Seamus Coleman that hasn't been already said. Um, you know, it possibly took him, uh, longer than expected to, to make his mark at senior international level. But again, once he got in and once he saw what he could do, there was, hasn't been anyone to challenge him since then. Um, the, I still maintain that his his unfortunate leg break against Wales was the the reason that we didn't qualify automatically for the for the World Cup in Russia. Um, and but since coming back, he's possibly still hasn't hit the heights that he uh, he was at before. But I think that says more about the the actual standards of the the what that he had said for himself because he's still uh, an absolutely outstanding uh, fullback and you know. You know, captain for for Everton under a succession of managers, and hopefully for the the new manager as well. So with the defence settled, uh, Phil, uh, who do you have in midfield? Uh, we'll start with the centre midfield. Uh, we can look uh, wingers later on. So centre midfield, I put Whelan simply because he's just been an he's been an ever present. He's been there the whole time, and uh, I know we can give out about him, but. He has to have been doing something right to be there. Um, and he has had his good games and he, you know, he always put, he is like, he sums up what it, what it means to, to put on an Irish jersey. He may be limited at times, but like he gives it his all. You know, he really has. Um, beside him, I really struggle with this, to be honest with you, because we've gone through so many midfielders. We've had Andrews, we've had Myler, we've had, you know, um, We've had a few others. I've stuck in Hendrick, um, which may be a bit controversial. I don't know. But just simply, 
his form at the Euros, and even since then he's had a couple of games. I know the disqualifying campaign; he's been disappointed, disappointing. But um, there hasn't really been anyone else. Well, maybe there has. You can tell me, but that's that's done as much. I'm not sure. I remember when Myler kicked into the team when he was 27, 28. I thought there was going to be huge things from him, but we never seemed to have had that one player beside Whelan. We had McCarthy for a while, but they seemed to chop and change. Yeah, and uh, I I struggled uh, similarly to pick a partner. I had Whelan in again just for the sheer con- consistency of the man. You know, since he got his debut under Intrapatoni's first game against Serbia, it's only really been injury that's kept him out of the team. Um, I think I I, I read uh, went in a review of the the qualifiers for Euro 2020 um, that. They showed uh, possibly more than you know in his career to date, to up to that point for Ireland, what he actually does uh, in that centre midfield. But the fact that more people were seeing it probably said a lot about how we were playing. In that he had, to, you know, he was making last ditch tackles, he was re- re- retrieving the ball. I think um, I, I, nobody's going to argue that he's, you know, he's not. Uh, like an outstanding centre midfielder, and I, and I think he'd be the first one to admit his limitations. But he gets probably the most out of the talent that he has than any player I've seen possibly since Kevin Kilbarn. Um I've actually gone for uh, James McCarthy beside him. I know McCarthy hasn't really stood out for Ireland as much as he has at club level, but I, I just go back to the game against Italy in France. Um, when he was, well, he didn't have Whelan beside him, and he really stepped up and possibly showed what he can do at international level. Um, and I think we have struggled without him in centre midfield. So, Mark, um, who have you, have you picked Glenn Whelan, and if you have, who have you paired him with? Yeah, Glenn Whelan for me, uh, across the board there. Um, for me, yeah. That other central midfield was kind of a problem one for me. Uh, I would have loved to have seen one of the managers in the decade experiment a bit with Kieran Clark as a defensive central midfielder, you know, because he'd had the skill set to clean these early days with Aston Villa to really fulfil that role. I know, should I even mention the two words, Declan Rice, yeah. in this conversation? But Kieran Clark, for me, had that you know, football skill set as well that could have very much very been capable. Um, thinking, yeah, James McCarthy probably, but also maybe Wes, you know, if we were kind of considering playing kind of a diamond formation, uh, Wes Hulahan for me, uh, you know, just kind of sitting in front of the, the front two, um, you know, exquisite playmaker and, you know, really, you know, his central uh, midfield capability was there for everyone to see, particularly in the Euros. Okay, so uh, we all agree on on one Center midfielder, and we all have, you know, picked a, a different midfield partner uh, for him, which I think kind of says a lot about the that centre midfield for Ireland in the last ten years. That it's been unsettled, and I think not having, you know, a, a settled midfield partnership. If you go back to say to to Roy Keane and and uh, Kinsella beside him, um, maybe that's been a, a contribution to to some of the results that we've seen. So with our back four and our midfield two. Uh, settled. Um, Mark, who have you gone for on the wings? Yeah, uh, for me, one wing 
and I know he can play striker very easily as well. Uh, Jonathan Walters for me. I thought our Euro campaign, uh, where he scored twice against Bosnia. I mean, the work rate, particularly down that midfield flank, he was, uh, a constant kind of in the team sheet, particularly on, on the flank. Um, again, the other midfield, yeah, it, it's an interesting one. For me, you could say Robbie Brady, but Robbie Brady has had an awful lot of injury issues as well in recent years. Does Aidan McGeady come into the mix here as well? I mean, for me, he never really let this side down. Granted, you could argue final ball. Uh, if I was leading towards someone, probably maybe a Robbie Brady on on the other flank. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I kind of struggle myself, actually, with the, the two wingers. But, uh, Phil, we'll get your picks first. Yeah, so definitely Walters on the right. Um, and I've gone with McLean. <laughs> okay. Because I think it's easy to forget, but the the lead-up to the, the qualifying for 2016, yeah, sure. he was brilliant. He was immense. Do you know, and he, he, he was just really good. And he, the formation I've played, I've actually put Brady in as well, but I'd have McLean on the left, for sure. Yeah, I, I actually ended up with McLean myself. I mean, I know people say that you know he's a bit one-dimensional, that his his end product is perhaps lacking, but... He did score some absolutely vital goals for us, you know, a, uh, during qualifying. Um, you know, he scored the, the winner against Wales that got us to the playoff against, against Bosnia. He scored the, the winner against Austria, uh, you know, a year earlier. That was our first away win in, um, since, since, against a higher ranked opposition since, uh, since, uh, Lithuania in 97. Um, and it, I think, you know, his effectiveness since then has, has faded a little bit. I think that says, you know, players, when he was first introduced to the, to the, to the Premier League with Sunderland, um, he was kind of a player that, you know, defenders hadn't seen in quite a while. And so they struggled to, to handle him. And he did, uh, you know, he did score quite a lot, um, for Martin O'Neill at, at that time. And again, when he was brought into the international side, under O'Neill, I think that was probably when he was at his most effective. Um, so, and uh, on the other side, again, uh, I've gone for for Walters. Uh, I think you know we we've talked about Richard Dunn's standout performance uh, against Russia, but Walters against Germany was deserves to be in that category. I know, you know, Shane Long's goal will probably be what that game is is remembered for, but what I remember is Walters holding off two players at the corner flag at the end of the game, you know, they weren't going to get the ball off him and he wasn't going to give it to them. Um, and he was absolutely immense that night. I, I Unfortunately, we didn't get to see the best of him in, in the Euros. I think he was carrying a slight knock and he, he wasn't 100%, but um, he was an, an absolute warrior for Ireland when he needed us to be. And again, you know, kind of similar to, to Whelan's partner in centre midfield, you know, the fact that we're talking about uh, a, a target man playing out right, out wide as a as a winger, as the best winger that we've had in the last ten years. Um, maybe again, it says a lot about the 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 quality or the the, the amount the players that have been coming through um, for that for that position. You know, um, I did think about Robbie Brady. Um, you know, obviously the the goal against against Italy and I think you know he scored some phenomenal free kick goals for Ireland as well um just wasn't consistent enough 
Um, and he only really came in uh, to, to the international team in the, the last five years. So, you know, I think we can still look forward. To, I still look forward to seeing him play. Um, but for me, he wasn't as, as good. He wasn't as effective as, as Walters um, on, the, on either flank. Uh, so finally, uh, Mark, who have you put up front? Yeah, uh, it's um, well, difficult choice. For, well, not really a difficult choice for one of them. Uh, Robbie King for me. Uh, you know, uh, going with the decade that was. You know, he was prominent up until the very, <laughs> very end of his international career with Ireland. So I think easy pick. What I've totally forgotten about Damien Duff was also at the start of the, the decade as well as a midfielder as well. I mean, he was absolutely class as well. And then the other striker for me. Um, it's a difficult one. Um, for me, I've always been a big fan of Shane Long, and I know the critique is he doesn't score enough, but I think if you're a centre half, he's your worst nightmare in terms of the hassling, you know, running down the flanks. He's goal against Germany, you know, literally, it, it was such a crisp strike for me. So I would go probably Robbie Keane and Shane Long for me, but again, it was a difficult choice, particularly on the second one. Yeah. Um, so I went with Robbie Keane as well. I mean, I know he's. He's retired now from for more than three years, um, but you know if we look across the 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 decade since two thousand and ten, you know his his goals alone in that time would break the Irish goal scoring record. You know Niall Quinn is, has uh, has twenty one, and Robbie Keane has uh, twenty three. So you know you can't not pick him. Um, I didn't know who to pick as his as his partner, so I've got Wes Houlihan playing behind him. Um, I think underappreciated by by managers and maybe a little overappreciated by fans. Um, but I think he he was the kind of player that Ireland tend to not produce. Um, and he was the kind of player that could always do something, you know, with the ball. Um, and I think for that reason, I think that he was, he was a unique player. Um, and I don't think there was anyone else quite like him that played for Ireland in the last 10 years. And I think just with his ability, I think that's, that partnership that we never really saw with, with Robbie Keane up front, you know, could have been something special. Um, you know, I really hope that, you know, Connor Ronan can step in and maybe perform that same role, uh, when Stephen Kenny takes over. So, Phil, um, we just finished with you, and who have you put up front? Yeah, so I've put um, I've put Keane up front, uh, basically for all the reasons you said, and I actually had I had an extra midfielder in there because it's Ireland and we don't play two up front. So I, <laughs> I so I had Brady. Um, it was it was a hard team to pick because outside of our say back four and and the keeper, we've never really had any player that's like been consistent over maybe two campaigns. There's been so much chopping and changing. So the the way I went about picking the team was just solely based on contributions. And Brady gave a lot on the way to qualifying for the Euros and during the Euros themselves. So that's why he got the nod in the midfield for me. And Keane obviously goes in for all the reasons you said, Joe. Like he was our he was our best goal scorer ever, and he was still scoring well up until he finished. So that was the reason why I put him in. Yeah, I think. You know, at, when Rob, when Robbie Keane was coming to the end of his career, you know, people wondered where the, the goals have come from. 
and you know we have struggled to score since he retired and I think he was one of those players that could, could always get a goal against um, say the weaker teams somewhere you know if we go away to a side that aren't going to just you know no team is going to roll over for you but a team that we were struggling to excuse me that we were uh, struggling to, to score against um, he just seemed to to come up with a goal out of nothing you know a goal that's maybe no other player uh, could have scored um, and you know people are talking a lot about the the, the teenage strikers that were suddenly seem to uh, be producing for the Premier League Troy Parrish Aaron Connolly and, and Michael Obafemi but you know, Robbie Keane, I think, was really was a once in a generation talent, and it might be a long time before we see anything like him again. Um, so, uh, Mark, uh, any final comments on the on the the twenty tens of international football? Plenty of highs, but also plenty of lows as well. Um, again, we've had you know after the Steve Staunton era, unfortunately, didn't work out. We went kind of safety first, particularly on some of the managerial appointments. Um, and again, we've literally said in previous podcasts for one or two of those managers, particularly trapped Tony Martin O'Neill, maybe a campaign too far. Um, again, leading on to the next decade, an awful lot of optimism, particularly on our underage side, Stephen Kenny coming into the helm. Mick McCarthy has provided a bit more stability. He leaves at the end of this campaign. So again, Optimism in the footballing sense, administration-wise, it's another question entirely. How the FAI gets restructured, how that potentially impacts our grassroots or junior soccer, that's of kind of immediate concern. But from a national team perspective, our grassroots is producing good players, so hopefully optimism abounds. And Yeah, thanks, Mark. We appreciated your contributions over the last uh, two episodes. And uh, Phil... uh, same question. Um, any, what's your thoughts on the last ten years of international football, and what are your hopes for the future? Um, well, for the future, I'd be optimistic. I suppose with Kenny coming in, um, there's a blueprint there to go forward, which there possibly wasn't when we were coming into this decade. Um, overall, we had one, two tournaments, one good, one bad, and. Um, the biggest disappointment is we still find ourselves trying to catch up with the rest of the the countries around us. When you look at the, the likes of England and a few of them who've kind of reset the whole thing and, and started from scratch again, we're now looking to do that in the next decade when Kenny comes in. So that, it, that's been disappointing. But overall, I'd be optimistic for the, for the next few years. I think um, we're finally going to see the change we need when it comes to how we approach the game of football in this island. So optimistic, and it wasn't a bad decade. We'd a lot of we talked about it uh, on the last part. We there was a lot of big moments in the last say five years, particularly the last five years. We'd a lot of big results and um, and a lot of good memories to look back on. So not not too bad. Yeah, for me, I think it was an improvement on the previous ten years. You know, I, I don't think anyone can argue with that. You know, qualifying for two tournaments, regardless of what's happened in. 2012 actually qualifying uh, for 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 Poland and Ukraine was was massive, um, and obviously some of the you know the the result against Italy and their performance against France in 2016 
you know, gave the country a, a lot of hope from uh, that the the football team was going to push on. Um, I was a little concerned about the the number of Irish players that were appearing at Premier League level and the amount of goals that were being scored by Irish players in the Premier League. But you know, the last two seasons have seen an improvement in that, and we've seen a lot of um, we've seen a lot of long-standing you know stats uh, changing. You know, the one only just recently we had two Irish players uh, <coughs> starting in the Premier League, both aged under 20, for the first time since 2006. You know, we've had, you know, as I say, we've had three teenage Irish players uh, this season. Um, and, you know, we've had, there's already been one more Irish player in the Premier League than last season. Uh, and, you know, and that's not nice considering that, that we could see the likes of Kilkenny make his debut for, for Bournemouth. Um, Travers hasn't played. Uh, Kelleher can still, you know, I think can still make an appearance for Liverpool before the end of the season. So there's a lot to be hopeful for. Um, I think overall the decade was an improvement, but maybe not the improvement that we wanted. Um, and I think that's what we have to look forward to, uh, in the, in the near future. Um, from an administration point of view, uh, look, I'm not a, I'm not a businessman. I don't know how to run a company, but I know when a company has been run badly. And I think that's what we're seeing at the moment. Um, and how badly it's been run might never come out, but it's bad. Um, so on, uh, on that possibly downing, down note, um, I'd like to thank everyone for, for listening to us talk about football for the last uh, few weeks. Um, we'll, it was only really an idea and a, that we want something, it was something we wanted to talk about. So um, we'll see how it goes and we might come back to it in the new year. Okay, thank you.